And now let's open our Bibles to the text we read earlier. If you turn to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1. Again, that's on page 1001. If you'd like to use the Bible, it's provided for you. And while you're turning there, I'm going to also encourage you uh, to be ready to turn back. Part of the message I think will be helpful if you're ready to turn to John, the Gospel of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and that's page 886 if you're using the Bibles there that are in the chairs in front of you. So we are Hebrews chapter 1. Now this morning we're turning to this text that I've read, first three verses of the book of Hebrews, the start of a new series, a new series that we are beginning today through the book of Hebrews. We're going to take a nice long journey through the book of Hebrews. I'm very excited about it. I've been praying about it for a long time. And it's, in a way, in some ways, new territory for me. You know, I keep a record of things that I speak on over the years. And uh, over the 31 years that I've been pastor here, I have uh, preached through every book in the New Testament, uh, with the exception of the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, and the book of Hebrews, verse by verse. So I'm getting this off my bucket list, okay? And uh, if the Lord will allow me, I'll finish all that before he calls me home. But I'm excited for this journey through Hebrews. Now, people have said often that the Bible, it really is like a treasure chest. You know, if you just open the Bible, it's filled with precious things, isn't it? I mean, it's just right there, right inside the covers of that book that I hope you hold in your hand today are precious treasures. But someone has also said the Bible's like a gold mine. And some of those choicest nuggets, you got to dig those out. <laughs> you got to dig them out. And that's what we're going to do as we take this journey. Uh, we're going to find some treasures and this journey into Hebrews, they're, they're just amazes, just like they're there just to pick up. But Hebrews is also a very intense book. It is a book that does not take lightly just cursory reading. But if you dig in, wow, it is a gold mine of precious, precious truth from God. And so we're going to be taking a journey down into the mines, all right? And I think God's going to give us some great treasure. And I'm praying that as we make this journey, uh, what I believe will be over the next many months here at West Park, of course, we'll have other focus. But I think we're all going to be the better and the richer because of it. So for the next many months, we're going to make this our journey. Now, often when I start a series, people will ask me, you know, why? Why are you going there in your teaching. And quite frankly, I've never been able to really answer that well. There's so many factors that come together in trying to decide what you think the Lord would have you talk about. Uh, but when I get asked that question, there's, there's many things that come to my mind when someone asks, why are you going in this direction, your study and teaching of God's Word? And I, first of all, just say, well, you know, it is the Word of God. <laughs> that helps right there. That helps right there. And, and that helps me because I wouldn't want to get up here and try to say anything that could match the Word of God. What could I possibly say, right? And what could help people? Not my ideas, not my insights, but the Word of God. 
But it's God's living message. And I believe that the Bible wants us to know the whole counsel of God. It it is the inspired living word of God. When God's people gather, they are a gathered worshiping communion around the word of God. I believe that. That's what makes the church. But when I've been asked on some occasions, you know, why I would uh, be preaching on a particular passage, I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a bank robber from England. Uh, and he had made a, he'd made a career out of robbing banks by tunneling into them, tunneling underground. And finally he was captured, arrested, convicted, and when he was being taken away to prison, one of, the, one of the police officers said to him, Toby, why do you tunnel into banks that way? And his answer was, that's where the money is. <laughs> that's where the money is. That's the reason you tunnel in. And so I think sometimes that way, hey, that's where the gold is. Gold's in the word of God, right? So we, just, we tunnel in. But if I were to give an answer to you this morning, why I think... Maybe in a very a personal sense, that the, I think the Lord wants us to make this journey into Hebrews. I think it would have to do with what I would call our danger of competing loyalties. The danger and the distraction of competing loyalties. You see... In the age in which we, are li- we live, there is so much that calls for our attention. We, we live in real time, online, connected, urgent lifestyle. That's just the world in which we live. And there's so much that can take precedent in our time, our, our focus, There's so much that we can experience and that we can enjoy. And there's so much constantly that's calling for our attention. Anybody feel that way? And you know, it's not necessarily bad things. Many things that need our attention, many things that are calling for our focus, they're good things. They're not bad things. But we have a danger... And all these things that can attract our attention to have competing loyalties. And as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to make sure we have one great loyalty, right? And what I want to say is this. Jesus is better. Don't settle for less. Jesus is better. Don't settle for less. That is, to me, the great theme out of this book of Hebrews, and it is as up-to-date and relevant as the latest news feed. Jesus is better. And as a Christian, yes, a Christian, in this time, this culture, Jesus is better. Don't settle for less. Let's not settle for less. The Puritans used to talk about the power of religious affection. And what they meant by that was that one of the great evidences of a true work of grace in somebody's heart was that they actually had a change in what mattered to them. 
Uh, the things that they enjoyed, they didn't enjoy anymore. And the things they didn't used to enjoy, now they did enjoy, enjoy. And they actually had spiritual, emotional love for the things of God and for God himself. The power of religious affections. Well, there's no power like the power of the affection of the Son of God and His love, right? And when the love of Christ grips your heart, then everything else falls in its proper place. When Jesus is best of all to you, and He's better than all for you, then, then truly, you have the affection which can help you make the right decisions. Jesus is better. Don't settle for less. So that's where we're headed. Are you ready to dig in? You're ready to dig in. So let's look then this morning, and we have to begin as we start with understanding the book of Hebrews a little bit. So we want to talk about the uniqueness. Let's talk about the uniqueness of the book of Hebrews. The uniqueness of the book of Hebrews. First of all, it's unique in regard to its authorship. What do we know about the author of Hebrews? <laughs> we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. That's what we know about him. There's no introduction. Uh, there's no clear indication. All we can understand about who wrote this letter, humanly wrote this letter, is found maybe some little hints in the letter, but we don't find much there. Whoever we wrote it was an associate of Timothy. We read that in chapter 13, 23. He knows Timothy, knows Timothy's been released from jail. And then we know that whoever he is, or perhaps whoever she is, there are actually uh, scholars who think that might be the case, this person is not one of the original disciples of the Lord. He's not one of the original disciples because chapter 2, verse 3, he talks about himself having heard from those who were with the Lord. So he's not one of the original disciples. Now what do we know about the author? We know he's very educated in classical Greek. If you ever took a course in New Testament Greek, this is the purest and the most elevated of all the Greek in the New Testament. He was very trained in the Greek language. And he's also very trained and skilled in the Jewish faith, especially about the temple practices. Whoever wrote this was a Jewish man or woman who was incredibly trained in the culture of Greece but had an amazing knowledge of the scriptures and of the temple practices. Now, there's many suggestions about who this author might be. A lot of people have said it's Paul. Not likely Paul because Paul always names himself in all of his letters. And also the language is not similar to Paul at all. Paul, when he quotes the Old Testament, always quotes the Hebrew Old Testament. This person, when he quotes the Old Testament, always quotes the Greek version of the Old Testament. So it's probably not Paul. Some have said it's Apollos, that great order, because of the incredible beauty of the Greek language. Some have said it's Barnabas, because Barnabas was uh, from a Greek island of Cyprus, and yet he was a Levite, and he knew all about the practices in the temple. Some say it might have been Luke. But the reality is, 
we have to say the same thing that in the third century A.D., an early church leader by the name of Origen said this. In the third century A.D., here's what he wrote. Only God knows who wrote Hebrews. Only God knows. But from the earliest days of the church, believers knew ultimately God wrote this letter. God wrote this letter. It has been, has been included in the collection of the sacred scriptures from the very earliest days. But we do not know for certain, really at all, who the human author is. It's unique. It's unique in its recipients. Who was this letter written to? This, the recipients aren't even named. We're not told it's written to the Hebrews. But it, it's, it's, we're told as we read the letter that it's clearly written to Jewish people. People who understood the practices of what we call the Old Testament. And it's written to Jewish people who their Bible is the Greek translation of the Jewish scriptures. And so evidently this is written to Jewish Greek speakers who have become believers in Messiah. They have become or they have been introduced to the message of Jesus as Messiah. Many of them have become believers and they are experiencing great trials. Many of them have lost their jobs. They've lost their families. Many of them have been divorced because they have become followers of Jesus. Some of them have been thrown in jail. Many of them have lost family members because they have become followers of Jesus. And they've also lost personally the way of worship that their families have known for the last 1,400 years. It's been hard. But they follow Jesus because he's better, right? Now, there's a unique purpose. Why was this book written? Well, the unique purpose is all about a unique person. Unique person. It's about the uniqueness of Jesus. This is what is all through this incredible letter. That Jesus is absolutely unique. He's not just one of a history of great people. He's not just the greatest of the prophets. He's just not the mightiest of the healers. He's not just the greatest of the examples. He is absolutely unique. There is none like him whatsoever. He's unique. And that's the theme of this book. There's no one like him. There's not another one coming. He is the only one. He is better, don't settle for less, okay? That is the big idea throughout this book. Jesus is better, don't settle for less. And that's the reason we have the title of this series this way. Now, the early Christians, as I said, knew. They knew that God was speaking through these words. They knew, no question, that this was divine revelation. It's amazing. That is just where the author begins. He begins right there. Right where, Sam? He begins with the fact that God speaks. 
He begins with the fact that God is the God who speaks. And now for the next few moments, here's what I want us to do. We're just going to walk into verses 1 through 3. And here's what we're going to do. On these early steps in our journey, we're going to pick up some gold nuggets. I mean, they're lying all around us just as we enter in the entrance of Hebrews. We're just going to walk in. And right now, I want you to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to confess it right now. From this moment on, I'm in way over my head. I'm going to be telling you things I do not understand. Happens all the time. But this is the Word of God. And who can plumb the depths? These next three verses are some of the depths of the Word of God, unique and unlike any others written anywhere. Let's pick up some gold nuggets. Verse 1. Long ago, and not in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now note two things here. Verse 1, it says... That God, many times in many ways in the past, God spoke. Note that. And then verse 2 says, in these last days. And the last days does not mean, as we think of, just the month or two before the end of the earth. No, the last days in the Bible times means the time, all the time that's preceding the kingdom of God arriving. That the Jewish people believe they were living in the last days, the days of trial and testing before Messiah and kingdom would come. We're living in what's called the last days. He says, in these last days, God has spoken. Now, what does that tell us about God? It tells us that God is a God of self-revelation. God does not have to speak. As a matter of fact, through endless ages of eternity, God did not speak. As far as speaking to human beings or angels, He was completely, totally happy in Himself. But God, by His nature, determined that He would reveal Himself. He is the God who speaks. He's the God who speaks. He's self-revelatory. You see, if God didn't reveal Himself, you could never know Him. Never in a billion years would anybody understand even a portion of what we understand about God unless He told us, right? He is self-revelatory. He reveals Himself. And so here is a key thing to remember. Why does that matter? God reveals Himself. Why does that matter? Here it is. Since God is the God who speaks, then God is the God who desires to be known. If God did not want you to know Him, then He wouldn't speak. And if God has spoken, do you know that what that means to you? Yes, you. 
plain old ordinary you. Do you know what that means? The God of the ages wants you to know him. Is that amazing? And he's spoken so that you can know him. Out of his great love, he wants to share himself. And in order to share himself, he has to make himself known. And the reason he makes himself known is because he's a good God and he wants you to know him. Not some figment of imagination about him. Not some darkened image about him. Not some false concept. Not some void silence. He wants you and me to know him. Is that awesome? Now let that sink in. God is not silent because he wants you to know him. Francis Schaeffer, of a generation ago, a great teacher, philosopher, said this. Title of a book, actually. He titled a book, He is There and He is Not Silent. Pretty good title, right? He is there, and he is not silent. Now, I want us to think about these principles of divine revelation. How does God reveal himself? If he's the God who speaks, then how does he speak? How does he speak? Well, there's two categories of revelation. Two categories of revelation. Number one, there's a category that we understand as general revelation. God, in a very general way, has made himself known. Where do we see the general revelation of God? Well, the Bible says, in creation. The heavens declare what? The glory of God and the expanse, the firmament, is his handiwork. God is speaking all the time. The heavens, the atmosphere, the world in which we live, our own bodies are all declaring insight about God. It's general revelation. Not only in creation, but there's also general revelation, listen carefully, in your conscience. The Bible says every human being is made in the image of God and imprinted on every human being is a God consciousness. There never has been, there never will be ever a people group on this earth discovered that are atheists by nature. All people worship. All people worship. Some people in their so-called intellect twist it and worship themselves and call themselves atheists. But it's just a form of self-worship. But in every human being, there's a conscience. Paul says either excusing us or approving us, there's this God conscious. God speaks. That's general revelation. But then there's special revelation. Special revelation. That's when God intervenes in a physical way to make himself known. There is special revelation. Look at verse 1. This is what the author is talking about. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God has spoken in many ways over the ages. You think about the Old Testament. How many ways did God speak? He spoke through audible voice. 
He spoke through visions. He spoke through dreams. He spoke through angels. <laughs> One time, he even spoke through the mouth of a donkey. Do you remember that? That's not the last time he ever spoke through the mouth of a donkey. There's been some two-legged ones that he's spoken through from time to time. <laughs> Don't look too intently at me when I'm saying that. <laughs> but God has spoken in special ways. But now, notice, specifically, he spoke in times past to our fathers by the what? The prophets. By the prophets. The fathers here means the patriarchs. Who are the fathers? He's speaking to these people. Their fathers are the patriarchs of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the descendants of the people of God. He has spoken to them by the prophets. Prophets, they are inspired communicators. People whose God's Spirit came upon them. And they could stand and with the Spirit of God, they could truly say, thus says the Lord. And when they spoke, they spoke God's truth. And that truth was heard and then it was recorded. It became the scriptures that we know as the Old Testament. And God says in this book, very first verse, those sacred writings of the prophets are the voice of God. The voice of God. And he connects, look what he does. He connects the New Testament church with the Old Testament prophets. He brings them together. God has spoken to us. Our fathers in the past, he's spoken to these prophets. Folks, let me just step aside here for a moment. Don't ever let somebody tell you that as a Christian, the Old Testament is not yours. Friend, the Old Testament is the word of God. These things were written for our admonition and instruction. And if you're going to be a New Testament Christian, you better get into the Old Testament. Because the New Testament is fulfilling that Old Testament truth of Revelation. It's the Word of God. But now notice this. Even though there was general revelation, special revelation, there was the, the prophets, there's the ultimate revelation. Who's the ultimate revelation? Well, look, if you would, at verse 1. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. That's the ultimate revelation. Literally, it's like this. God spoke in many ways in times past by the prophets, but now He has spoken to us in these last days, listen carefully, in a Son. In a son. It means God has a message that is so incredible. His message is so valuable that even though the prophets started saying it, God has not sent just another prophet. He has sent his own son to share it. That must be pretty important, right? He sent his own son. Not just servants, the prophets. He has sent his own son. Now, friend, listen. How much does God want you to know him? If he would send his own son so that you could know him, how much does God want you to know him? Put out of your thought 
that you don't matter to God. Put out of your thought that God's not interested in you. Put out of your mind the idea that you're just a pawn on a chessboard. God sent His Son to speak to you. What a God. What a God. How He wants us to know Him. He's the God who speaks. So the God who speaks, let's change the title. The God who speaks is the Son who speaks. The God who speaks is the Son who speaks. Do you remember the occasion when Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up the top of the the mountain and Jesus was transfigured before them? Do you remember this? His glory came out. And who showed up with him? Moses and Elijah, the great lawgiver and the great prophet, two, the two great prophets of the Old Testament. And Peter, you know, his mind slips into neutral. Has that ever happened to you? And he just starts jabbering. Lord, it's good, good for us to be here. Uh, 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 we'll build three. Uh, three, three dwellings. Three. One for Moses, one for Elijah. We'll even build one for you, Lord. You you can actually have a house just like Moses and Elijah. (laughs) Oh, wow. What's the voice of heaven say? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah are my servants. And they have served me. And they are still alive in my presence. And their truth still goes forth. But you listen to my son. He's the one and only. There's no one like him. And so here we have this son who speaks. Now what do we learn about this son? Here's some treasures about this son. Number one. This son, Jesus, is the messenger son. He's the messenger son. Jesus is the message. He has spoken to us by the son, and he is the messenger at the same time. See, Jesus himself is the message and the messenger. Does this remind you of what John said? You remember I asked you to be ready to look at John chapter 1? Or John chapter 1, rather, the Gospel of John? What, how does it begin? In the beginning was the what? Word. Message. And the word was with God. Literally means face to face with God. In the beginning was the word. And that means eternity. And eternity was the word. The word was face to face with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. What are we learning here? That Jesus is the eternal message of God. Jesus is the Son of God incarnate who is God's messenger, but He is also the message. Everything He has to say, He has to say through and by His eternal Son. God has spoken by His Son. Notice, he was speaking by the prophets, but he has spoken. And the tense means he has spoken 
And he has said it. And what he has said is completed. And he's still saying it. (laughs) What does that mean? There's not another one to come after Jesus who will speak. There is no other final prophet but Jesus. There is one God and Muhammad is not his prophet. There is one God and his prophet is Jesus, his son. There is one God and Buddha doesn't know a thing about him, never did. Confucius was lost in a sea of absolute unbelief and darkness. And there was no prophet named Joseph Smith who had angel Moroni help him find golden tablets in western New York and interpret them. There is only one final prophet. That is the Son, Jesus Christ, none other to come. God has spoken in these last days by His Son. He is the messenger Son. Secondly, He's the master Son. He's the master Son. He has spoken to us by His Son. And as the master's son, he is majestic. He's the owner of it all. (laughs) He's the owner. Look at verse 2. He's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. I just read this morning my devotions. Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage? Kings of earth imagine all these things, saying, we will not have this, this, this Messiah, this anointed one to rule over us. It's the only time the Bible says God laughs. God says he will laugh. And he says, I will declare the decree. You are my son. This very day I have begotten you. You are my son, and you will rule. I will give the nations to you, and you will rule them with like a rod of iron. Listen. God has given to Jesus, his son, all things. All that is God's is Jesus. He's the heir of all things. Look, he's the creator of all things. Not just the heir of all things. He's the creator of all things. He, by him... He created the world. Jesus is the creator of the world. The Son was the one, the Logos, who was the creator. What does it say in John chapter 1, verse 3? It says, All things were made by the Word, and without Him was not anything made that was made. When the Bible says, God spoke, let there be light. That voice was the voice of God the Son Himself. He spoke everything into existence. He is the majestic Son. There's nobody like Him. He's the creator of all things. Jesus is the owner of all things. Look at verse 3. Jesus is the revealer of all things. He's the revealer of all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. Notice that radiance and glory. 
What did Hebrew people think about? What did Jewish people think about when they heard the phrase, glory of God? They thought of that cloud in the Old Testament that hovered over the people of God, that led them through the Red Sea, that guided them the 40 years in the wilderness, a shadow of a cloud to shade by day, and a pillar of fire to guide by night. The cloud that went before them and marched around Jericho. The cloud that led them into the promised land. The cloud that came and settled upon the tabernacle. The cloud that came upon the temple when Solomon dedicated it and overwhelmed the glory. This is what he's talking about. He says that very presence of the glory of God is in the Son, Jesus Christ. And he became flesh. And he dwelled among us. And he is the exact, look at this, he's the exact imprint of his nature. The, the word imprint there is the word character or character. Character we could get from that. It means a, a, like a, a pressing of a ring on a seal. And you see the image of the person in the seal. That's what this is saying. That Jesus is the very image of the invisible God. That in Jesus you have God in human form for all eternity. What did Philip say to Jesus? Jesus, show us the Father. And that will be enough for us. And what did Jesus say? Oh, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. Jesus is the revealer of the Father, and Jesus is the sustainer of all things. He's the revealer of all, and he's the sustainer of all. The Bible says here that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe. He holds it together. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 2. It says, And by Jesus, the Son, all things consist and have their being. Did you know that by the very laws of nature itself, the universe should not exist? Everything about the galaxies everything about our atmosphere, everything about our bodies, everything, the very anatomic makeup of all things, nothing should be able to hold together. But there is a power. There is a force that holds all this together. And the scientists wonder, I wonder what it is, what it could be. Let's come up with brilliant names for it. And a little child back here in Sunday school could tell you the answer smarter than the most brilliant PhD who doesn't get it. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He holds it all together. And friends, you know what we know about those hands? They're nail scarred. Praise God. Look at verse number three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. 
He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Notice here, he's the missionary son. He made a purification for sins. What's purification? That's the work of a priest. A priest in the tabernacle and in the temple went about making offerings for sin. The pollution of sin. This is the work of a priest. But there was never a priest like Jesus. Why? Because he is the priest and he is the sacrifice. He's the priest who offered himself as the sacrifice. He is the lamb who climbed up on the altar of the cross and offered himself as a priest sacrifice to God that we might come to the Father. And when he gave his life, what happened in the temple? The veil was rent from top to bottom. And we can come to God through this priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he did something no priest has ever done. Never did do. Ever. You know what no priest ever did? No priest ever sat down. One piece of furniture that was not in the temple and not in the tabernacle was a chair. There was no place for a priest to sit down. You know why? Because a priest's work was never done. Every day... Day in, day out, the sacrifices had to be repeated, had to be repeated, had to be repeated. Year in, year out. But then, one day coming to the Jordan River was Jesus of Nazareth. And what did the final and the great prophet John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus, as a priest and sacrifice, offered himself to God. No more sacrifices needed. One perfect sacrifice. He rose. He went back to heaven. And as our prophet, our priest, and our king, he sat down. It is finished. And as our prophet, he speaks to us from his throne. And as our priest, he speaks for us to his father. And as our king, he speaks over us. As he rules over us, his children. Our friends, I want you to know, there's no one like him, amen? Jesus is better. He's better. Why would we ever settle for less? Why, why would anybody want to live on anything less than the riches of knowing the God who speaks and loves and saves through his son, Jesus Christ? Friends, you know what? That's about one half of my sermon. <laughs> I should never take two weeks off. And Doug's scared to death about what's about to happen. Let's bow our heads.
Would you get quiet just for a moment? The speaking God and you. The speaking God and you. Listen carefully to these questions. Do you believe God speaks? Do you believe He speaks? Or is it He just a God who spoke a long time ago? Listen to this question. Do you expect God to speak? Do you expect God to speak? Do you expect Him to speak? Would you right now with all your heart say, Oh Lord Jesus, speak to me. Speak. Guide me. Speak. Do you want God to speak? Maybe you really don't want to hear from Him. Would you just be honest? He knows. Just say, God, I'm just in such a place right now. I don't even want you to speak. I'm afraid of what you might say. I'm afraid you'll sound like my dad used to sound. I'm afraid you're going to say what other people have been saying to me. Put me down. I'm afraid you're going to sound like that pastor used to sound back in that old legalistic beat down church. Tell him why you don't want him to speak. But say, God, if you're this God that this man has talked about, Lord, make me want to want you to speak. Do you speak to God? Do you want God just to have one-way communication? Do you talk to God? He wants you to have a relationship. Do you speak to God? And lastly, do you speak for God? He speaks to you. Then what do you do with what He says? Will you speak for him? What does, Jesus, what does God speak? Let me tell you what he speaks. Grace and truth. No man has seen God at any time. The only God who's in the bosom of the Father, that's Jesus. He has made him known. And this God has been tabernacled among us. We have beheld his glory the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Would you say, Lord, make me a person who speaks the truth in grace. Make me talk like Jesus, my words full of grace and truth. For all who call upon Him, He is near. All who call upon Him in faith shall be saved. Oh friend, call upon this wonderful speaking God this morning. I beg you in Jesus' name.